0: three most extraordinary, and I haven't found all of those three in any one church. I'm sure they are many, many places, but I've not seen all three in one. But it, but but I believe that um, it's God's intention for these three extraordinary things to be in his people. And um, so extraordinary, and the idea being that, you know, the idea being that you could leave here today revisiting every single, everybody has mundane or ordinary things in the life everybody has but somehow maybe you would have a different image when you leave today that that when you leave today you would see every mundane and every ordinary thing in your life a completely different way and that you would get a touch by God and the, and and it would be transformed into something extraordinary so that's where we're going today but we're going to kick off in a way that I usually finish Usually I finish with a great life testimony, but I want to start with one today. And I want in a moment to bring up to the platform and interview a most, one of the most extraordinary young men I've ever met in my, on, in my life. And to set the scene, this young man was born with the name Muhammad Ali. And uh, born into, uh, and taken as a little baby to have his head shaved as part of the Muslim thing. And uh, at two years of age, his uh, Muslim father just left the country and went home to Bangladesh after starting uh, a run time of starting one of the first, if not the first, Indian restaurant in Manchester, but it, you know dad goes away you think okay be back tomorrow or next week next week next week but dad never came dad never came home and so the start in life was like a little bit tough I hope it encourages some of you that have got a little difficult start in life but um, and so growing up in that world let's just say was tough and um, then one night he, it all changed in an extraordinary moment. A moment when he was invited to a gathering that he didn't want to go. How many of you have ever been invited to a party that you don't want to go? Hey, and you fake it. You know, you go, I oh, could hey, hey, good it's good day, but you didn't really want to go. Nobody here, nobody here, right? But um, he didn't really want to go to this party. He didn't really want to go to this meeting. But, but looking back, everything ordinary in his life in a moment, was transformed to the extraordinary. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the chief project manager of one of the largest and greatest football clubs in the world, uh, Manchester United. Mr. The chief project manager the, right here, Gary White, is his name now. Let's give it up for him. Give it up, give it up. <laughs> We've already had an extraordinary morning. We've already had, we were in a hotel this morning our uh, two f- professional footballers uh, having breakfast and Gary was giving them the gospel's testimony for the first time in their life. They heard what a real, what it is. So that was a great, great morning this morning. So Gary, welcome. Thank you. Thank Back you. to your, your second home or your real home, whatever you want to call it. And uh, well, I've got a, two or three questions uh, for you. So the first question is, tell us about that extraordinary moment.
1: Well, the extraordinary moment, um, Jimmy's skipped quite a number of years, so, uh, yeah, I was uh, taken by my real father uh, to be dedicated in the Muslim faith, and uh, and then at two years old, my dad left, left me and my mum, and we I didn't see him again until I was nine years old, uh, and that was just really a passing moment. Uh, he came to visit, he, he wondered how his son was doing, but he really didn't want any connection with his son, but of course, as a son, I wanted a connection with the father. And um, so again, skip another nine years, when I was 18, I actually went looking for my dad. And uh, again, had a very brief encounter with him. And, and that was it, really. I didn't see him again. and um, But you know, even back then, God had a plan. God had a plan for my life. He's got a plan for your life. Even though your life starts off in difficult circumstances, um, when I was nine years old, a new father arrived. He was, a, it was my stepdad. Uh, it, was a, it was a very violent time. Uh, my mum was violently beaten on a regular basis, and I used to jump as a nine-year-old in the middle to try and break break them up, and uh, ended, ended doing superman pressions across the living room as I was thrown from one side of the room to another. But I just wanted to know that even in all that, God had a plan. So God had a plan to take this introverted, Little boy who had a really difficult childhood and to take him somewhere extraordinary. And um, so I left school, and I've said that, I've told you, this, maybe some of you have known this story before. I left school, I was, I was introverted, didn't do very well, left school with, with one qualification: would work. And so I, I had to go to college and just basically do everything again. It was tough, it was really tough. But, um, but God had his hand on me. And in 1993, I had this extraordinary moment where um, I'd, met, I'd met my wife, Lynn. And uh, Lynn's mom and dad were pastors of a church. They started, they planted in the 80s. And one day, Lynn said to me, I'd like to go back to church. She'd not been going for a few years. I didn't have any experience of church. And um, she said, but I'd like to go back to church. And I remember my words, I said, you'll never see me in a church. I don't, want to be, I don't want to go to a church. I don't believe in God. I, I'm not interested. But God had a plan. He had a plan because he had his hand upon me, he had his hand upon Lynn. So I did go to church. So I did go to church, and I was there in this meeting. It was a meeting just like this. And my father-in-law gave a very simple gospel message. And the words went straight to my heart. Because if you're going to transform the mind, you've first got to start with the heart. And that's where God started. And from that very moment, on the 16th of April, 1993, God started working in my life. Extraordinary working of a healing, of forgiveness. I I could probably go, if he was still alive, to my stepdad now and put my arms around him. And just say, I love you, I forgive you. Because God's done such a deep work. So I want to say that we serve an extraordinary God. He's amazing and he's done great things in my life. So he's taken that introverted little boy and he's taken him covertly into one of the biggest football clubs in the world to what I believe is start to talk to people within an organization like that to begin to transform their lives. And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about what's happened
0: brilliant well you know skip forward a bunch of years and you know you prayed that god would your passion has been to take the kingdom of god and the presence of god into the marketplace right in there at the height of the sports world and uh, you've shared with me many many miracles amazing miracles of god showing up in power i don't know if you're able to share this one or not the day you went and the electrical equipment wasn't working are you able to share that one for us yeah, share that one, that's yeah, so one this of my is favorites. A, This is a
1: quick story. And you know, I believe in the supernatural God, I believe that anything is possible. Um, and uh, I'm project managing some work at the training ground and uh, we had a major problem with the incoming electricity supply. And all the engineers were there and they were trying to fix this and they they, they couldn't really understand what the problem was because the circuit was live but the, the equipment wasn't powering up. It was a pretty desperate time because uh, we were about to hand over the facilities and, and you can imagine the deadlines involved because the team's about to turn up and, and train so it was pretty desperate. So uh, I thought, well, God knows about electrics, God can solve it. So what I'll do without getting electrocuted, I'll just go to the Transformer and I'll just lay my hands on it and I'll just, I'll just pray that something extraordinary happens. And so that's exactly what I did nobody saw me, I just did it covertly, I went to the back of the plant, I just laid my hands on it, I said in Jesus' name, get live. And nothing happened. So I walked away, and uh, I'm sat, go back to the meeting, and uh, next thing the engineer comes in and says, puts his thumbs up, we're live. He never really told me what happened, but I just believe that God intervened, so give God praise for that. Ian Dorot, that would have solved. There's a lot of problems if we'd
0: learned that one. So um, in the electrical world, but um, so Gary, you know, the first time I came to your office, very I didn't know who you were or what you what was about you. But um, I thought I will go and have a cup of coffee, another ordinary cup of coffee. But I came out with my head absolutely spinning because you shared with me something I'd never heard before but your passion to see God move, not just in the church, but in the seven spheres of influence. Share a little yeah. bit what you shared on that day, because I've never been the same since. You, actually, you ruined my life.
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I've grown up in the church. I love the church. I love, I love the local church, and my, my pastor, my father-in-law is with the Lord now, David McEwen. I just honor him. He was a father figure to me, a great influence in my life. And um, my mom-in-law, Shirley, they, they just planted the church and I, I started there in 93 and, and worked with them. Um, I worked with Lynn. We worked in the children's church 15 years, uh, just, just just basically mentoring and, and feeding into the kids. It was, it was great, I loved it. And, uh, and then I was an elder at, at the church and, and I was thinking, you know, I'm gonna give up the career I'm just gonna. I'm going a pastor. I'm gonna be a youth pastor. That's my passion. Um, but God was saying, you know, He was asking me, "Where's your harvest? Where's your harvest?" And and I'm thinking, well, the harvest comes to the church, doesn't it? We we hold services and people come in and people get saved. But God was saying, no, your your harvest field's outside the church. What you're supposed to do is go out and get amongst the the nations and get amongst different companies and 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 witness to people in a way that's natural you know because as we all do I, I learned the Christian language quite quickly you know uh, I'm not very good at Spanish and French but I'm, I'm okay at the Christian language I can I can pretty much I'm pretty good at it so but it didn't work outside I found it didn't work outside the four walls of the church it was great amongst us as believers but actually for people who've never been in contact with Christians it was a bit difficult um, especially when you talk about the blood of Jesus and you need to get washed in the blood, and it's the same. wow, that sounds pretty radical to me. Uh, so it, 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 I had to change how I operated. So I started reading about characters in the Bible that, that changed the way they operated, and I, I read about Joseph, and I read about Daniel. I read about Daniel, how he integrated himself into society to actually reach the people around him, and I, I read about Joseph, you know, how he became you know, the governor of all of Egypt, and he changed the nation. And suddenly, my world opened up, and I thought, nations can be changed. God's li- there's no limits with God, and, and uh, you know, his limits are only his limitations to our, uh, the size of our vision. So I started studying how, how we can go out to the nations, and maybe not in a traditional way, because you know I've been to Crusades, I've been to Billy Graham Crusades, and, and, and I love Billy Graham, he's a hero of mine. But I thought, maybe there's another way that we're going to reach the nations. Maybe, as individuals, we're all going to be empowered to go out there. So I just started naturally speaking with people. But the thing that came to me was, you, some of you may have heard, is this seven mountain mandate. Which is really, you can put different labels on it, but what it's really about is influencing society. And I, I asked myself the question, you know, where are the great reformers of our day? You know, where are the ones that that changed society, you know, the William Wilberforces who abolished slavery through his work as a politician and, um, you know, William Booth, who's a Methodist minister who started the Salvation Army and changed society. Uh, it, it, it just struck me that we need those people again. Society needs those people again and we've just got to get this vision. So, so this was burning in my heart that my, my place wasn't in the church to minister, my place to, was to be outside the church to minister and suddenly I realised that actually when you look at the stats, it's like 10% will become ministers within the church because that's the main mountain, that's where we come from, that's where we're trained, that's where we're equipped but the other 90% are out there in the marketplace and they really need to be empowered, they need to be equipped. And that's where the church is going to make the difference it's going to equip the 90% out in the marketplace to be able to operate supernaturally and bring supernatural ideas into society as reformers as business leaders so that people say where on earth is this knowledge coming from it's not coming from me this is god this is how god operates this is how this is how much the father loves you he's interested in every aspect of your life so i shared this vision with jimmy in the office and um I didn't realise I'd ruined his life, but clearly, you know.
0: <laughs> you know, the great thing is that um you know, probably one of the busiest men I've ever met in my life, you know, the hours he has to put in and the work and, and looking after eighty odd departments, uh and, and and um and yet maybe one and a half hours, not so much now because he's moved near the club, maybe one hour, but one and a half hours on the way there, one and a half hours there. I know he's either got worship in full blast in his car or he's listed some other great teaching about the Spirit of God moving on the earth. Just lives it, soaks in it, basks in it. And um, and, and told me many times that's what's given him the strength to do what he does. But as you know, Gary, he been a friend of the Vine people here for a number of years. And you know that um, uh, uh, three more Sundays and, and the new leadership, Aaron and Lindsay, and the leaders here will be taking on, you know, extraordinary leaders taking on the move of God. Have you got a word from the Lord or a word of encouragement and inspiration for the leaders and for the church here as they launch into this next amazing phase?
1: Yeah, um, praying about the, this, this church that I love, um, You've you've been through tough times, you know. You, you've been through the valley as a congregation, as a leadership. But God has a plan for this church, for this community. And I know that you know. To praying about this this morning, I, I just had a, a picture of Aaron and Lindsay. Aaron was praying for wisdom. He was asking God for wisdom, and. Um, and I think he'd, he'd ask, and he's asked, and he's asked, and he's asked for wisdom. And what God does, and he's done with me, he, he gives you wisdom for the moment. You know, because if we, if we, we suddenly had this great download from God for wisdom, the way we want it, um, we probably wouldn't operate in the way he wants us to operate. So he, he gives us wisdom for the moment. I would say, Aaron, you've got wisdom for the moment. And God's hand's upon you. He's got his cloak of favor on you, because what favor does, it opens the door and God's presence keeps that door open and, and keeps you in the moment. This this is your moment. This is Divine Church's moment to be to be relaunched and and to start to get God God's strategy for equipping the saints. Um, I've read many books on equipping the saints. I believe that the fivefold ministry is completely active today, but it's going to be more and more active outside of the four walls of the church. And it's a great responsibility, but you're absolutely well able and well prepared to do it. And uh, there are two aspects um, to the warfare that you've had, and wisdom and worship are the two that will work together to get you through that warfare. And that's where Lindsay comes in, because there's a, there's, a, there's a worship mantle on, and there's a wisdom mantle on you, and together you're an unstoppable force. You're an unstoppable force. So you're just gonna get a great vision from the Lord for this. And actually, people are going to be surprised at the size of the vision that God gives you. Um, I remember when you came to Old Trafford a few years ago and I had that word for you, back to the future. That's still absolutely active for you. It's absolutely, because it really will be back to the future. The future is unlimited, but the past is closed. There's no more room in the past. It's done, and it's present and future that, that all of us now looking forward to. We're looking forward to the return of Christ, but he's coming back for a, a bride that's spotless. He's coming back for a church that is absolutely on fire in the darkest times known in history. We're going to see the greatest move known in history.
0: All right, guys. Give it up, Mr. Gary away Thanks, Gary. Great. You know, it takes boldness to tell one person about Jesus, but to take Jesus into the heart of uh, you know a club like Manchester United is it takes a lot more courage and boldness and uh, but but I wanna I wanna go take us to the Bible now uh, to another bus- another man in the marketplace another businessman and uh, and we find a word in there we find extraordinary things took place Acts 19 verse eight. It says, then Paul went to the synagogue and he preached boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn. It's unusual, eh? (laughs) Some became stubborn, rejecting the message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul leaves, uh, he steps out of the synagogue and took believers with him and then he held daily discussions in the marketplace, in the hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years. So the people throughout the province of Asia, Jews and Greeks heard the word of the Lord. Verse 11, God gave Paul the power to perform extraordinary miracles. You've just been hearing about them. He gave Paul the power to perform extraordinary miracles. When handkerchiefs, air prince had merely touched his skin and they were placed on sick people they were healed of the diseases and evil spirits how how many people would agree just for a moment that's just a little bit extraordinary and um, so I want to talk about three things how do you become extraordinary what does an extraordinary people or church look like? When you find an extraordinary one, and this is the one that's missing in most places, number one, when you're extraordinary, you raise urgently. It is the top highest priority to raise. The People whose top priority is to raise sons and daughters of God, to minister as priests and disciple nations is the one that's extraordinary. And most churches, including own, are good at one and weak at the other. And there's a divide across the world. There's a divide between... Kings and priests, people that work in the marketplace, and people work in the church. There is an almost like an unwritten divide. It's like one's important, and that's kind of important, but in some places they threaten each other. And and most people see them as two separate things. But they're one. There is only one commission, one people, one church, one mandate, and that is to raise up sons of and daughters of God and equip them for the church but equally equip them like Gary where their ministry is in the marketplace and whether their marketplace is in government or education or finance or any one of the seven spheres the church that gives the exact same passion power, and focus. Aaron mentioned it last week, and that's why the future of this church is in fantastic hands and is a fantastic future because there is a burning passion deep-rooted in the leaders here to have a discipleship culture to raise up great leaders in the church and great leaders in the marketplace equally as one. That is unique, believe me, I don't know of any church on the earth that's cracked it. I'm sure there's many. I've just never seen them. Let's give it up to God for that. That's the cracker. That's the cracker. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. On Thursday, I was on the train, and I've been looking forward to a leadership cast event with great leaders, psychologists like like, um, Dr. What's his name? I'm going to forget. Henry Cloud. Jack Welsh, um, Andy Stanley, some great, great leaders who are impacting their world in a good way. And I was going to learn a little bit more about how could we raise up sons and daughters of God to be as effective in their workplace for Jesus and see total transformation in their workplace, their town, their city, and their nation. And it's happening, by the way, in many, many places. Some of the most exciting things are taking place in the business world, in schools, in prisons, in the marketplace. Amazing stories from that word. But how many times God nails you? Because when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, God God's intention is that his glory covers the whole earth. His intention that every mountain bounds to the mountain of the Lord and every knee shall bow. And his, his, his way of doing that is to use ordinary, the most ordinary, ordinary people ever to do extraordinary things. He chooses the poor to reach the rich. He chooses that those that are not to reach those that are. And reach, he uses those that have not. So if you think, well, I don't have it. You may think, well, how can I disciple anybody? I've got news for you. You already are. Maybe not intentionally, but if you have a child, you're discipling that child. And you know how it works. The child is brilliant. It can learn your bad habits ten times faster than your good ones. And thriving them. And um, so nobody needs to fear. well, because the truth of the matter, everybody. And if you're in your workplace, there's somebody watching you and going home and telling your jokes or telling your stories or thinking, hey, I want to get my hair cut like that. You're discipling every moment of the day, just not necessarily intentional. But God, there's an urgency. I said, the, the point here I'm talking about is, When you become, you become, urgently. You become extraordinary when you raise urgently. In the next chapter, Paul conveys this urgency, and he he conveys it by saying, "I had to get the gospel to every person, so nobody would die before I leave." That's urgency. I had to do this. I had to get the good news to everybody. Urgently. And there's an urgent passion in the leaders here to see that nobody dies in this town or on the street or in this nation without hearing about Jesus first. Is that okay with you guys? So urgency can be a bad thing, but it, when, when it's about the mission of God, is the most beautiful thing. We have an urgency that nobody dies and goes to hell or without getting an opportunity. Some, and, but God nailed me on this one before I got to the Leadership Cast Conference. I'm on the train. And I'd just been at the Vine a a little time before that. And I saw a lady called Rose. Rose was asked to get a team of ladies together to scrub and clean our new soft play area. The next Sunday. You forget you're talking to an urgent lady. Why wait on a team? Why wait three days? Why? Do, but the next day, she's on her hands and knees. I'm talking scrubbing till late in the night. The next day, rubber gloves on, scrubbing. You've trained her well, Linda. No, I'm just kidding. You. Scrubbing. Scrubbing from morning to night. And days and days later, I'm in there. I come in. She's still on her knees. Scrubbing with hands and getting skin bleach burns. That's what you call urgency, but you know that was that's just the start of the story. And I, I'm I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, oh man, this I've got my head filled with this because the church is filled with people who do kids work, uh, youth work, all kinds of things. People do food banks with well, an urgency. And and so I'm on the train, and a young lady gets on the train. And uh, I said to the young lady, "All right, we've got a few minutes. people are listening." I need to ask you some questions. I have an urgency. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not on a train to just have a coffee. And I said, um, Where do you want to be 10 years from now? Write three things down right now. What does your life look like? If it's fantastic, if it's fantastic, if it's God, write down in this moment three things that your world looks like 10 years from now. And when you do it, we're going to do what the Bible says, call those things forth that are not as though they were. We're going to pull these three things into six months. Oh, she says, I know what the three things are straight away. She said, number one, I want to do such and such to get a cure for cancer. <laughs> that's, that's not a bad start. I'm working right now. I'm studying there. I'm on the way to do my exams. And I'll get my master's degree in November. And my, but, but my goal is to find a cure for cancer. What? Whew. What's your second one?" she said, "My second one there's one I'm not going to tell you, but my second one is to be there for Zara, Stephen and the youth workers to help them raise these young guys as disciples for Jesus Christ. That's my second one. That's my second old-time dream. I said, "What's your third one? My third one is to do something. Amazing for my mom. My mom has done every amazing thing. You can imagine. I want to pay back. I want to, do, I want to pay back. I want to do something absolutely amazing for my mom. And I thought, that's it. I could have went home there. I didn't need to hear any more world speakers. I got the biggest lesson of my life there. And I saw that this girl who had been abused horrendously by her own father. And her mother betrayed by the same man horrendously. That although Rose is one of those ladies who has an urgency about getting the job done. But here's the thing. In the midst of all her pain, all her suffering, all her betrayals, never once has she eased up on her urgency to raise this daughter in the most horrendous of circumstances. And I saw it. It's more important to raise than anything else. We're all focused on Getting this, getting that, doing this, doing that. But raising, raising, raising a son or daughter. Some mothers go, oh, I'm at home. I, I can you know, do travel the world and lead prisons to Jesus. You're doing the most important, extraordinary thing on the face of the earth, raising a child. And the truth of the matter, that kid is one of my heroes. But her sister, Jennifer, is here today. I don't mean to embarrass you, Jennifer, but she also is one of my heroes. You know why? Because they get up to fight another day with still challenges. And guess what? Their passion and their best goes into raising. Because I sat in the train with that young girl with this amazing dream, together, peaceful, not a sense of bitterness, not a sense of brokenness. She admits she's crazy. I said, I only talk to crazy people now. She admits that. No big deal. Nothing new. It takes crazy people. But I was shocked by the time I got to the conference how together this young girl is in the middle of all her challenges and all her stuff. How together she has The work that Jesus had did. So through the love of Jesus, the love of youth leaders who have discipled her, but mostly the love of a mother who's never lost her focus in all these years and no matter how the devil's attacked, to love and raise a child for Jesus Christ. Let's give it up for that one. Come on. That's, a, that's worth a million right there. It's more important to raise than make a million pounds. It's more important to raise than conquer the universe. It's more important. Now, for those of you that are feeling, oh my goodness me, I did my best raising, but they're all plunkers. No, there's nobody here like that. But the truth is, we feel that sometimes we go, "Oh man, that one's a plonker." No, you don't. You're a nice Christian. You don't. You don't think these bad things, do you? I do. No, but you, Sarah. Just hear in. No, it's am just kidding. But you know what's like. You know what's like. You're maybe not turning the way you hope. Let me just uh, just be confident. Just be confident. That what you did was the best you could do, and the seed is there. And in due course, the rain of refreshing will come on that child, and you will see the victory. We can give it up for God on that too. It's more important to be urgent about raising sons and daughters. Aaron calls it discipleship culture, and I think it's absolutely fantastic. The second one is you become extraordinary when you take the presence and supernatural power of God into your workplace. When you take the supernatural. There are men I, I was I was in a businessman, Christian businessman's place last week, seven years ago. He's wrecked. Now business is booming like you can't imagine. Business 25 and, and what he, what he donates and what he blesses. And the, and I met, he said, I'd like you to meet my first member of staff. A lady came, little 55-year-old mother came. I said, what's your job in, in, in the motor industry? She said, oh, I'm, I'm on staff. I said, what do you do? She said, I pray. I said, you pray? Yeah, I'm paid to pray. That's my job. So I shop at eight and I finish at five. And what I do is I pray. Why do you think this business is successful? Oh, yeah, beauty. And every time I see her, she's glowing. Absolutely glowing. That's my job. I get paid to pray. How many would be at the prayer meeting without well, that one, David? And I just thought, he's got it. He knew the importance of bringing God into the workplace, into a garage. But there's many, many, many amazing examples of God being invited into a prison as the boss or a partner, or God being invited into um, a sports arena or a or, or school, whatever. And that partnership, that inviting the presence of God and, and being equipped to take it to the next level is the most beautiful and extraordinary thing. Paul struggled in the church. He struggled in the synagogue. He's, he's struggling. And Jesus of the 40 extraordinary supernatural things Jesus was involved with, one of them was in the church. And I love the church, and it's where the training all takes place. But the training is to take it out there confidently, the presence and power of God, into the marketplace. And I want to excite every one of you to see your work completely differently. And this is the paradigm shift. Here's a cracker for you. Your work is worship. When you see your work no longer as a duty, but worship, those that labor, labor unto the Lord. Whatever you do for anyone, you do it as unto the Lord. The moment you begin to see your work is an act of worship, in other words, you're reflecting the image of God and doing the best and doing it as if you're doing it for God himself, you begin to see supernatural transformations take place. And we're seeing amazing results in Australia and in many, many nations where incredible numbers of people coming to Jesus and astounding miracles taking place. When people stop cursing their work and realizing it's a gift from God and my labor is worship. Is anybody okay with that? We got that one. I'll quickly hit the last one. Because God wants to be invited to your work. He wants to be invited to your school. He wants to be invited to wherever you are, whatever you're doing. If it's in the home, raising the family, First thing each day, invite them God, you're the boss, you're the senior partner. A simple invitation, a simple invitation, a simple invitation. Third one, very quickly. Alan Keller kicked this one off, but I want to just bring a reminder: you become extraordinary when you pursue the refreshing of the Holy Spirit urgently. When you pursue his presence with an urgency. Like Jacob, what he said, I won't let you go. That's urgent. I won't let you go. I won't let you go till you bless me. And when you pursue the refreshing and the power and open out And when you pursue them with an urgency, until, until the extraordinary shows up, the extraordinary breaks out. Can a nation be saved in a day the psalmist said, yes, if God shows up? Can a whole prison be saved, turned from the most evil prisons in the world into revival centers? It's happening. I've been there. Seen it with my own eyes hugged and prayed with the prisoners, former rapists, murderers, everything you can imagine. But God is calling his people, yes, to pursue the power and the beauty and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but to go from being personally refreshed, which is a greatest starting place, but to pursue and soak in them and seek Him until the anointing is such Stuff just breaks out. You lay your hanky down and the blind see. You lay your jacket down and the cripple walks. You lay your pencil down. Somebody touches it, they come out of a wheelchair. I believe Acts is full of the extraordinary and settling. Oh, it would be so easy to settle. You don't get so much disappointments. Believe for nothing, do nothing, risk nothing, take no chances. You know, when I text these two professional footballers last night, nine o'clock, hey, guys, hey, guys, I know you're busy, but um, we need to see you for breakfast, Nine 9.30 tomorrow. We'll be there. We'll be there. You need to hear something. We'll be there. We'll be there. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to go way beyond that. Imagine what's going to happen if your street or your village or this town, because here's the thing, here's what God's after. A church that just settles for winning souls, giving a few quid to the poor, blah, 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 blah. is not hitting it. What God's after is total and utter transformation of a city and a nation for the living God. Total transformation society, where crime is down, trafficking is down, violence is down, every single evil thing and justice is down. And so God, it's not gonna be two separate things. God's gonna raise up kings and priests. He's gonna raise up people who will be equipped anointed, and pursue the Holy Spirit until the, Holy, the, until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit breaks out into salvations and miracles like we've never seen. Where is the people who are hungry enough and urgent enough to pursue that? Three things to be extraordinary, Number one, guys, was? Alan? Raise disciples urgently. Second one was? Sorry? Take the supernatural, miracle-transforming power and presence of God into the workplace. And the third one? Pursue urgently until you lay hold of an outbreak of the power of the Holy Spirit that will come and turn around and transform every single mundane. One professional player came to me last week. He's never played in five weeks. He's down and nothing's happening for him. I said, God, we need a miracle. He's not even getting a game. And we talked about miracles, what God can do. He texts me late Friday night, you cannot believe it, I'm playing. He texts me Saturday night, the manager said to me I was a different class. He texts me Wednesday night, check the news. I was voted as one of the top 11 players in Scotland on Saturday. And that was in four days. Come on guys, it's marketplace, marketplace, it's marketplace. When can we talk some more? And that's your time to tell them. The power is not from me. I'm just the biggest dumpling you've ever seen in your life, mate. I'm a big enough dumpling to believe that God is great and can do extraordinary things through extraordinary, ordinary, ordinary people like you and me who are willing. Every time I go, everywhere country I go, they ask me, "Give me a definition for faith." Give me a definition. My, f- My definition is different to everybody else. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not even saying it's good, but I like it. My definition of faith is brass neck. A brass neck. It just means to put your neck where nobody else will put it. And do the thing that nobody else would do, because they don't want to look stupid. Everyone wants to look smart. But the truth of the matter is, faith takes a brass neck. And guess what? I'm going to ask Gary just to come and close with a prayer. I'm going to ask them to, pr- if we could just stand for a moment. I'm going to ask him f- for God to pour out his spirit upon you. Whether your calling is in the church or your calling is in the marketplace. That you would see it's all one. And that God will anoint you and empower you and give you the wisdom you need. And maybe that, that, that sphere of influence right now is at home with the kids. That's brilliant. It's the best one. But whatever it is, that every ordinary and mundane thing is radically seen by you, radically different. is an opportunity to experience the power and the presence of God doing extraordinary things to you. Gary, up you come, bro. Let's reach our hands out to the Lord. Reach our hands out to the Lord in faith.
1: Father God, we come to you this morning and our hearts are open. Our hearts burn to know you more. Our hearts burn to be in your presence constantly. And Father, we we cry out to you this morning as your sons and daughters, that you would visit us, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would raise up reformers, you'd raise up the William Wilberforce's of our day, the William Booth's of our day, the Martin Luther's of our day. Father, that we would see the greatest move of your spirit since Acts. Father, we're desperate for your presence. We're desperate to see you move in our nation, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our hospitals, That you would supernaturally visit your people that we would just connect with you like we've never connected with you before because father we know that you are the answer to the needs of the desperate the lonely and the forgotten people of our nation so father we ask that you would come we ask that you would revisit your people you would raise up those that think it's all over. You would re-fire those that think they've retired. You would go to this generation and the next generation, and you would raise up a mighty army. The bride of Christ, before you return, Father, before your son comes back to the earth, he will see a bride, a warrior bride, turning nation upon nation upon nation upon nation upon nation Back to you. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father.
0: All right. Thanks, Gary. That's brilliant. Let's have the band up, guys. Just before you sit down, can I just say one last thing? Because it's going to be one of the last occasions I speak from this platform before the handover. And it is this. You know, a beautiful thing happened to me and Elma when we turned 60, and we said, You know what, sweetheart? We actually seem to be getting on better than we've ever got on in our lives before. She says, you know why? We're too tired to fight about daft things. And you enter this beautiful world, the beautiful new world when you turn 60 Of what's worth fighting about? And, you know, it's true, David, and true, see if you get your dinner on the table and it's hot. Nothing else matters <laughs> when you get to 60. And you look at all the daft things and all the crazy things that you argue and fought about and, you, and you just go... And what's brilliant is, what's brilliant is you forget most things anyway. It's great. Don't ever, don't ever complain about a bad memory in your wife. It's one of the greatest gifts God's given us. She forgets what you did wrong yesterday. It's great, it's wonderful. I'm, I'm loving this new world. She forgets what she, she starts off the day, and I know I've done something wrong, and I know she's gonna get on to me, but I know by five o'clock it's brilliant, she's forgotten. Well it's heaven. And so, don't complain about changes, and don't worry about changes. Changes happen, and the truth of the matter is, 90% of the changes in the church are just not worth fighting about, all right? And there will be changes, your new leadership coming. Your, your, your great leaders and great team coming. there will be changes, and the truth of the matter is, the color of the paint on the walls is not worth fighting about. Now the pies, that's a different story. If they're cold, that's worth killing for. All joking aside, all joking aside. 90% is just no, it's neither here nor there. Because here's the thing. If the changes are to create space to make us more effective and more urgent about telling everybody how good Jesus is and lean up me, Jesus, then that will be the litmus test. That will be the plumb line. That will be the plumb bomb. Hey, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. We need space. We need time. We need and energies to do the job. And that means we need to make a wee change here and a wee change there. So, you know, Stop getting your upset. You're more crabby than your granny. Just know worth it, guys. So let's, as Christians, agree on what's worth fighting about. The one thing that's worth fighting about is the good fight. To be the best image person of Jesus Christ on the planet. And I'm so excited for the future of this church because it's filled with the most extraordinary, ordinary people on planet Earth and the most extraordinary, ordinary leaders. Sir, what's your name? Liesl, I have a prophetic word for you. Are you up for that? You know what we're talking about today. You understand everything we're saying today. You've been there. You've even been at a crossroads at times. You've been at a crossroads at times. And there's times you're not sure where to go that way, that way, that way, or that way. But the truth of the matter is you've been like Joseph and you've gone through this and this and this and this and this and this. And sometimes you've even blamed yourself. You thought, man, if I had more faith, if I prayed more, if I hadn't spoke to a person, if I hadn't made that decision, and you've beaten yourself up. Because when when you've ended up in a pit, now you've ended up in a struggle, you've thought, well, do you know, it's my fault, it's my fault. It's got nothing to do with that. The truth of the matter is, you're in a process. And God is taking you like Joseph through this trial, this bet, this betrayal, this trial, this bet, this betrayal, this trial, this bet, this betrayal. Because there's a Joseph anointing on you. And a Joseph anointing is processed through betrayals, disappointment, and just when you think you've got there, you get the greatest attack on your reputation you could ever get. Because the reputation is the last thing to go. And here's the reason why. Every one of us wants to be the hero in our own stories. And God does this beautiful thing. He crucifies a reputation to remind us when we get to the palace and we're ruling and reigning, there is one hero in every story. And it is King Lord Jesus Christ. So don't be discouraged. Don't be worried. What's happening next? You're in a process and God is raising you up to rule and reign like Joseph in the palace. You've had tears. You went to sleep in tears many, many times wondering and a little bit confusing. What does tomorrow hold? But I've got great news for you. It's not because you failed. It's because the hand of God is on your life to raise you up to transform nations. And it's a good thing with evangelism, guys. Just before we go, I know I've gone on a couple of minutes, but you'll get shot at me in three weeks. Here it is. When you tell somebody about Jesus, when you're winning somebody for Jesus, make sure he and they are the heroes of the story. He and they are the heroes of the story. They'll listen to you. And I've blew that a thousand times I've, 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 I've had meetings with people where I come out I was a hero, I told them the great miracles I did, I told the great things the great things, And the Lord dealt with me he said quit doing that from this moment on, if you make him the hero of every one of your stories and make the person you're talking to the hero in the story you'll be the greatest evangelist Scotland's ever seen, God bless you guys Fine Charles, let's give it up for Jesus Christ come on, God bless you Oh,